0: Rosie
1: on the house, every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Come on around back, Arizona. It's Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour here at Rosie on the house here. Arizona Saturday morning tradition since 1988. Already the fourth Saturday of the month here in August. That means we've got Farmer Greg in studio with us, and we're talking about fruit trees, desert fruit trees. And you would know that if you're following along. In your Rosie on the House Homeowner handbook, a annual publication and calendar form that we do lines out our broadcast talking points. And this one, Greg, is one of my favorites when we talk about urban farming because there is nothing you can uh, that will produce more with less work than a fruit tree.
0: Right? Well, and that's one of the big reasons that I love to grow them is because you plant them once and you can get for for decades and i actually had in the backyard of the urban farm two citrus trees that were planted are you ready for this in the 1920s and they were still reliably producing fruit every year that's, that's at this point they're 100 years old
1: that's pretty incredible and talk about return on your your investment even if those trees had only lived to been 50 years old you would still got an incredible return but no here we are 100 years l- later, and they're still cranking out produce.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And there's so, so much abundance that comes from fruit trees if you pick the right fruit trees. And that's really the the thing we have to make sure that we do. And that's what we educate people about in our fruit tree program with the Urban Farm is how do you make sure that you get the right fruit trees because did you know that you can go into most nurseries in every big box store and they will sell you a fruit tree that will never make fruit
1: in the desert climate it might if you take it up to flagstaff and planted it at a higher elevation where there's more chill hours but
0: exactly you know a but, lot of
1: these arizona's a region so they deliver to arizona well there's a lot of regions inside of arizona that you know not what not not there's no tree that's applicable to all of our growing zones
0: exactly exactly and and in fact i was at one of the big box stores a few years ago and i i called them on it i said look guys this stuff will never make fruit here and they said yeah we know it's for people to take up to flagstaff i think what they told me (laughs) it's like well then why are you selling
1: it here and not in flagstaff yeah who wouldn't you just drive up to Flagstaff and then buy it there instead of buying it, putting it in your car and hauling it up? <laughs> exactly.
0: So there, there's a few things you need to know. And for those of you that have listened to us for a long time here, this this will be a review. But there's three main things that you need to know in order to buy fruit trees that will actually make fruit. And the first two are standard in the industry. The third one is something that I figured out over the past 25 years in growing and experimenting with literally hundreds of different varieties of fruit trees on my property at the urban farm. So first one is what we call chill, chill hours and fruit trees, especially deciduous fruit trees. Now, deciduous fruit trees are the ones that lose their leaves in the winter. They go dormant. So this is your apples, apricots, plums, pomegranates, figs, those trees. They require a certain amount of chill hours. And if you plant a variety of peach that requires more than the number of hours that we get here, you will likely never get fruit on your peach tree. It'd be so a pretty that, tree,
1: but it won't produce the fruit.
0: It won't it just won't produce the fruit that's exactly it and we get in maricopa county i used to say 350 hours with the heat that we've been having the past few years i've really encouraged encouraged people to go with 300 hours of chill and chill is generally anything under 39 degrees between november and february so given in Maricopa County that we get 300 hours of chill. If you plant a fruit tree that requires 500 hours of chill or a thousand hours of chill, it won't ever make fruit. So the first thing you need to know in buying a fruit tree, especially the deciduous fruit trees is how many chill hours do you get in your area and if it's in Maricopa County, you get between three and three hundred and fifty, um, and then you need to make sure that the tag on the tree tells you how many hours of chill is required. I was I was at uh, another big box store a couple of years ago in Phoenix, and the tag on the tree simply said peach. <laughs> There are literally hundreds of different varieties of peaches and about a dozen of them actually will thrive and make fruit in the low desert. That's it. So you need to make sure that you get a low chill tree that's proven to produce in the low desert. So that's the number one thing you need to know in choosing your fruit trees. Number two thing is, is what rootstock is it on? This is a little bit more complicated than the chill hour piece. And rootstocks are kind of specific to an area. And what I would really encourage you to do, first of all, come and get fruit trees from us because we only bring trees in on the correct rootstock. But secondly, if you want to do your research, do your research about the different varieties of rootstocks that fruit trees are grafted on. And a rootstock is the roots that go in the ground and the scion wood or the fruiting wood is grafted to the top. And we have certain kinds of rootstocks that do particularly well in the desert. In fact, we're going to be talking about cherries here in a little while. And cherries have never grown in the low desert because of the rootstock involved. And we'll talk more about that later.
1: And this is nothing new. From what I've heard, All fruit trees, citrus, apple, apricot, plum, you know, all of these trees for the past hundred years have all been grafted specifically to grow in the desert climate.
0: Well, and specifically to grow. So if you have a particular apple like a Gala or a Macintosh apple and you want an exact duplicate of that, what they do is they take a cutting, and this has been done for hundreds of years, they take a cutting of from that tree and they meld it or graft it to a rootstock so that what happens then is that that grafted piece will produce an exact duplicate of what you started with. If you try and grow fruit trees from seeds, what you're getting is the genetic mixture of the male pollen that pollinated the flower and the female flower. And while you can grow trees from seeds, it's it's a challenge to get something that is actually edible. So that's why they graft trees.
1: And do it very well. Like I said, they've been doing it for a very long time and they've gotten very good at it.
0: Yeah, very good at it, exactly. All right, so that's number one and number two. So number one is a low chill tree for the low desert. And number two is getting it on the right rootstock. Number three, and this is the one that I discovered over the past 40 years of of growing fruit trees in the desert. And that is make sure for soft flesh fruit, that's your apples and peaches and grapes and berries and that kind of stuff. You want that fruit off of the tree and harvested by about July 10th. Otherwise, what happens to those soft flesh fruits is they just cook on the tree. (laughs) I've seen it over and over again. I have planted many different varieties of low-chill apples and low-chill peaches that ripen in August, September, and October. And it's uh, Owen Pears as well they all ripen in the fall and they're they're just no-goes it's it's why bother you know you might get i had an asian pear in the front yard of my house at the urban farm for about a decade and if i was lucky i got 10 fruit off of of it every season whereas my apple tree my anna apple tree i used to get two or three hundred pounds of fruit off of it
1: annas are are very good producers and we've got a handful of them The the, the uses for them are endless.
0: On the apples? Yes. Yeah, on the apples, exactly. Those are the main three things you need to know in order to select a good tree for your area. And then I want to jump in real quickly and talk about three ways to kill your fruit trees because I see this over and over and over again. Even this summer, I had emails coming in from people during... The hottest July on record saying what's going on with my fruit tree and often what happens is is that they plant them in a very hot microclimate and what makes an, a, an area a hot microclimate is gravel block walls sidewalks concrete <clears throat> so we really encourage you to pay attention to where you're growing that tree in fact i encourage people this time of year go out and stand in your yard where you want to plant a fruit tree for about 20 minutes in the afternoon and see if you'd like to grow there now we've got plenty of solutions for all of this stuff if you have a hot microclimate we've got our uh, solutions that we've developed over the past 30 years of doing this so there are ways around it but if you just dig a hole put a tree in the ground, put the gravel right up next to it, good luck.
1: Talking with Farmer Greg, Desert Fruit Tree Program. I know it seems kind of weird to be talking about it right now in August in this hot time, but we're coming to the time where it's ready to plan so we can plant to properly uh, get that tree established for the summertime and start producing that fruit. More with Farmer Greg right after this. All right, recap, if you've heard, Farmer Greg got three ways to kill your fruit tree. We want hot microclimate.
0: Number two is planting them in grass, because what will happen with lawns, Bermuda lawns, is that if you just stick it in the grass, the Bermuda lawn can actually outcompete your tree for nutrients and stuff. So we have a solution for that as well. And the third thing is watering with one drip emitter right next to the trunk. If you're just putting your fruit trees on automatic and they get drip irrigated at one drip emitter three times a week, it's no way near, nowhere near enough water. So you need to make sure that you're deep watering your trees. um, And that requires a lot more water than one drip emitter. And One of the big solutions for all three of these things is what I call my six six rule. That's a six foot diameter basin with six inches of woody mulch and you plant the tree in the middle. And we have uh, put together, Janice and I have put together something that we're calling our root camp. It is a master class on growing fruit trees in the desert. There's 37 lessons. And if you go to fruittrees.org on the front page, you can sign up for it. It's free. And when is it? It's online. It's all online.
1: So I just, I go on and I take it at, at my own pace online. It's already pre-programmed there. Sign up, go through the steps. It's all all digital. That's very cool. Yep,
0: yep, yep. And it has, you know, some of the classes are longer. Some of the segments are, you know, here's a how to fix a basin. If you have a broken basin around your tree, that's a 12-minute video I did a few years ago. So we've kind of put all that stuff together in one place. These are the best practices for making sure that you're successful with your fruit trees.
1: And it's called Root Camp, correct?
0: Root Camp, uh, yeah.
1: Let's go to camp, folks.
0: There you go. Root Camp, your basic training for growing fruit trees in the desert
1: let's get into our talking points you had here for segment two. And I don't like to cover costs much because costs can change so much over the course of the years. And we like to have information to be timeless, but I'm also in that same sense, excited to talk about the cost. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, it's much more affordable than somebody might think. Right.
0: Well, and so this all started about a month and a half ago when Janice and I got on the phone and called every, pretty much every nursery in town to find out what they sell fruit trees for. And there's a lot of disparity, a lot of difference in what they sell fruit trees for. So I'm not gonna call anybody out. Um, We'll just say that there's a lot of difference and you should make your own phone calls. But here's some of the data that you need to know in order to get the best deal and the most effective deal on your fruit trees. First of all, Fruit trees are sold by pot size. You may have heard them called one gallon or five gallon or 15. They're actually going away from calling it a gallon and moving into a number. So they call it a number one pot, a number five pot and a number 15 pot. And it's very easy for nurseries to buy a plant in a number one pot and put it in a number five pot and sell it for a number five price right away. I've seen it happen over
1: and over again. And when they're in those different numbers, it should be a certain maturity, a certain height, a certain age. And so what you're saying is they'll get something that's set for a one gallon or a pot one size, put it in pot five, and sell it for that increased price range.
0: Exactly. So we actually don't sell ours that way in our fruit tree program. What we do is we sell them by the diameter of the trunk. And that's what really indicates the age of the tree. How big is the diameter of the trunk around six inches above the ground, right around the graft point? That's what you're looking at. And a number five pot should hold a fruit tree that is like five three eighths to a half inch to three quarters of an inch so let's just call it a half inch to three quarters of an inch that's the trunk diameter and that's probably going to be a a one-year tree so then there's the what they call a number 15 pot and number 15 pots should have a tree in it that is about three quarters of an inch diameter at the the trunk up to an inch and a half so if you're standing there looking at a number 15 tree and it's a half inch diameter trunk it's very likely that is a Young, a much younger tree that they've just recently potted up. So really what we're looking for is the trunk diameter. And the trunk diameter for a number five, let's just call it that, should be, like I said, half inch to three quarters of an inch. And for berries and smaller pomegranates and that kind of stuff, we're talking $30 to $50. For the actual deciduous trees, this is your apples, your peaches, your apricots, that kind of stuff, um, should be in the neighborhood of $50. And for the number 15 trees, so the trees that are like three quarters of an inch to an inch and a half diameter, those should be valued somewhere between 50 and 70 dollars for the deciduous trees and somewhere around 125 to 150 dollars for the citrus trees and we're going to talk about what's going on with citrus here in a little while
1: okay well Um, hang tight you know that sound that means it's bottom of the hour news break back with farmer greg right after this Halfway through our conversation here with Farmer Greg at Rosie on the House on the Outdoor Living Hour, fourth Saturday of the month, we talk with Farmer Greg about all things urban farming, and we're talking desert fruit tree program. And So you had made a point about citrus. Is citrus considered a fruit, technically? In my world, it is. <laughs> Perfect. I, I just wasn't sure if the classification was, you know, there's fruits and vegetables and, you know, tomatoes really in the fruit plan and how it all works, uh, can because they're not deciduous, does it, it tie into fruit or is it its own classification over here under citrus?
0: Oh, no. It is absolutely a fruit called citrus, and there's many different varieties that grow really well in the low desert.
1: And if you do it correctly, you can have citrus just about year-round. That with, is correct. With the different varieties. You, you can't yeah. have one... Uh, one citrus tree provide citrus for you year round, but what would it take about seven different varieties to get you year round coverage?
0: Yeah. And I I found that the holes that we have for citrus uh, started about June to about October. Uh, Then from November to June or even into July, we can get fruit. So along these lines, the navel oranges and there's two different kinds of navel oranges that do really well the Washington navel and the Karakara navel and they start ripening about mid-November and they'll stay on the tree from mid-November to when you harvest them all and that's the nice thing about citrus is you just harvest them a few pieces at a time and they stay great on the tree. So we get about 60 days of navel oranges and then there's this really cool fruit it's like a navel but it's like a peeling orange it's like a juicing orange it's called a trovita orange and it ripens in january and february so at the urban farm i had 14 different navel and or navel like oranges to give me fruit from november to the end of february so that four month period i was walking out in the yard and harvesting fruit daily and then and then after that comes lemons and Arizona sweet oranges and miniola tangelos and, you know, the cuties that you see in the store. Those, those are uh, in springtime into the summer as well.
1: And that is one thing I love about citrus. I, mean, I, I enjoy the stone fruits. I do. But you have so many things to compete for, you know, birds and bugs and insects that go after, you know, the, the peaches and the apples. Citrus? Man, that, that'll stay ripe on there till you're ready for it for months. Exactly. And, and you don't now have to thin w- them like w- you do apples.
0: Apples you can get about two weeks on. Peaches you can get about a week on. I want to touch on what's going on with the citrus industry in Arizona. There is this little bug called a citrus psyllid. It causes citrus greening disease. And about 12, 13 years ago, Basically, the USDA locked down all of the states for being able to transport citrus fruit and citrus trees across state lines.
1: Trying to isolate this bug.
0: Trying to isolate it. So there, I've done some reading and I, uh, they think that the citrus psyllid and the citrus greening disease is le- will be less prevalent here in the desert because of the extreme heat which you know from that perspective it could be a good thing but they have found it for sure in in Florida and California so it's really hard to ship citrus fruit and citrus trees across straight lines state lines so about 15 years ago 10 12 years ago um, the USDA came in and started talking with the citrus growers in the state and basically gave them the guidelines of what they had to do. And it was such a big investment. The only company in the state that is growing citrus trees, Sunset Citrus Nursery down in Yuma. And they supply all of the citrus for all of the nurseries in the state, primarily because it is very hard to get citrus shipped in from California or elsewhere. So we basically have a very short supply of citrus and uh, unfortunately that jacks up the price more
1: mm-hmm. but so. it's still a tree that will provide that return on investment for you once it starts producing fairly quickly
0: exactly exactly like i said i had 14 navel or navel like oranges that i planted in the 2004-2005 time period and i would get oh easily 800 pounds of a <laughs> thousand pounds of fruit off of them every year and that's keeping them small.
1: And by so, keeping them small, you're you're trimming the tree small so you don't have to climb to harvest the fruit. You're not keeping the fruit small.
0: Correct. I am keeping the tree shorter. It's called urban orcharding. It's part of what we cover in Root Camp, uh, how to keep your trees small uh, so that you can harvest them from the ground. Let's jump in and talk about the other fruits that do really well here. Now, our program, the Fruit Tree Program, we primarily bring in fruit trees that we've experimented with that we know for sure if you do what we tell you to do you're going to be successful with them and i've done a lot of experimenting over the past 30 plus years on this planted a lot of fruit trees and this is what we've found there are a couple of apples the anna and the dorset golden apple and this year we have a new apple that we're bringing in oh called a Yeah, exactly, called a ghost apple. Hmm. And it's an early ripening apple, and I've heard some good good things about it. These all ripen in June. They start ripening on the tree at the end of May, and they'll be a little tart and chalky in May, and then as soon as they get crisp and sweet the first week or two of June, you can start harvesting them. Uh, and they do they do really well. I used to get 2 to 300 pounds of apples off of my anna tree in my backyard at the urban farm. And we, there's apricots.
1: We love our anna apples. Right? They're you know they're they're green. They're not your red delicious, but they're still so many things you, know, you dehydrate them. They're a little tart uh so, I mean you can still eat them, but you just have to know you you're, you're going to get a tart flavor, but uh, great for baking. Uh and when your tree is growing you have to thin the apples yeah you know, if if you leave them all in a cluster you get 10 small apples you know maybe not 10 but eight you know 7 to 8 small ones so you got to take off uh all those smaller ones well as we thin them we fill them in buckets and we funnel them to the horses and i mean their their whole mouths just turn <laughs> green and they're drooling and yeah, you know, that's that's a big treat for them going into the summertime as their the Anna Apple diet,
0: right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So then there's two different apricots, the Katie and the Gold Kiss. They They uh, produce about a golf ball size apricot. They're absolutely they're hugely prolific and absolutely wonderful. Peaches, there's about a dozen different kinds of peaches. My favorite are the desert gold, the tropic snow, and the mid-pride. And those are three peaches that ripen two to three weeks apart. So if you plant all three of those, you from about mid-May to the end of June, you're getting peaches.
1: And that's a critical part because if you had three desert golds and they all <laughs> went ripe at the same time, you would lose a huge part of your yield. The the peaches are really hard to keep up with when they're, you know, they're the opposite of citrus. When they're ripe and ready, you better be too.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And by planting them like that, we call that successive ripening. So you're putting a successive ripening, and there's other trees that also fit in that. The, The reason I love the Desert Gold Peach is because it is the most prolific peach I've ever grown. It's an absolutely amazing peach.
1: And do and they then, successive ripen in this order that you listed? Desert gold, tropic snow, then the mid-pride? Exactly. Perfect. So that's your exactly, first, yeah. second, and third bloomers or ripeners. And then,
0: and then there's the plums. There's the Methley, the Beauty, and the Santa Rosa plum. I'm not a great big fan of plums, but they do really well here. They're low-chill. They ripen at the right window. Um... And then mulberries and I get this a lot from people oh my god it's illegal to grow mulberries in Phoenix in Maricopa County that is not true I have done deep uh, investigation in the the rules around that it is illegal to grow male mulberries female mulberries don't make any pollen So there's no issue around them making the pollen, and they make incredible fruit. There's the uh, Pakistani mulberry, which is about a three-inch long berry, and then there's the uh, dwarf black mulberry. The dwarf part is the berry. It's about the size of a dime, but it's the most prolific berry I've ever seen in the low desert. It will literally make thousands and thousands of berries over about a two-month period.
1: And you have to be careful with the mulberries because they sell seedless, fruitless mulberries as well. Yeah. So if you want a mulberry to provide you know some edible for you, make sure you're looking for that. There are plenty of seedless mulberries that have come back on the market here since, uh, you know, in the last— since they, you know, quote-unquote, you couldn't—they were outlawed. Well, the first ah. ones you started seeing back were the seedless ones because they were—they didn't have the pollen. So oh. you, you can't get a seedless mulberry tree.
0: I had not heard of that before, so I learned, get to learn something new every day. The two, that, the two that have done best for us over the past decade are— I, I say seedless. Of,
1: I should have said fruitless. I'm sorry. Fruitless fruit, is fruitless probably— mulberry. Oh, okay, more. good more accurate of what but you're saying the pakistani and the dwarf black are what you have had the most success with
0: exactly and we we every year we do a deal on the pakistani mulberries i'm sorry on the dwarf black mulberries and i call it you buy three one get one free because they make great hedges so if you buy three of them at our regular price we're going to give you an extra one and put you put them four in a row about Five feet apart and it'll it it basically makes an oleander-like edge for you. Very cool. Right?
1: And they are very hardy. Mulberries do very well in the desert.
0: Exactly. And then there's grapes. There's uh Thompson Seedless and Flame Seedless Grapes. They do okay. Uh and the okay part is, is that you don't get a table grape. It's not the size of a steely marble. It's more of the size of a Uh, pea to a little bit bigger. They're really sweet, but just for whatever reason, the the heat gets to them and they just don't grow to full size.
1: Well, that was two great segments there with Farmer Greg. We've had third, but there was a great review one. But the last two, if you're going out fruit tree shopping, take that first segment on pricing and sizing. Take that second segment on what varieties to look for. We've got one more final segment coming up here right after this. All right, Farmer Greg, down to our final segment here. And earlier you were talking about, you know, the chill hours and looking for that. But there are still varieties that if the chill hours match the desert or if the rootstock graft matches the desert, there's still just some varieties here that are on your don't plant list because they just – it's still a no-win scenario. Our desert can't grow every single variety of everything.
0: Yeah, I, and a lot of these, there's urban myths floating around about them. Uh, and uh, I have yet to produce a lot of fruit off of these. So let's just, we'll start at the top, pears. Pears are wonderful to grow. And as I mentioned earlier, I had an Asian pear in my front yard. Um, and it gave me, you know, maybe five or 10 fruit a year. And a big part of that is because it ripens in the fall. The other thing about Pears is that they're highly susceptible to something called fire blight. It's like somebody just took a torch and torched them, and that stunts their growth a lot as well. So, with all of these trees here, if you want to experiment, I'm all for experimenting if you know you're experimenting. And you could experiment with pears, there might come up with, you know, you might come up with a good one that produces, but I've not seen. Consistently, I've not seen any pear production in Phoenix. The next one are nectarines. Nectarines are highly susceptible to thrip damage. Um, Thrips are a bug, they climb up out of the soil and they suck on the fruit as it's developing and make it yucky looking and basically it rots the fruit out. It's not something you want to do. What I tell people with nectarines, plant peaches.
1: (laughs) Perfect answer.
0: Yeah, because the peaches aren't affected by that. Persimmons are a very soft flesh fruit that ripens in the fall. Um, I saw one in my neighborhood that was a small tree. It looked like it was struggling. It was in a flood-irrigated yard. And one year I saw about 10 fruit on it. And like I said, they ripen in September, October time frame. And so, they're, again, is it worth it? Maybe, maybe not. Cherries. Cherries are an absolute 100% forget about it. (laughs) And this comes from uh, my contact at the nursery where we buy our fruit trees from as well. And I've tried every cherry possible in the low desert over the past 25 years. And every single one of them eventually dies. And when I say eventually, sometimes they'll last two or three years. And it has everything to do with rootstock. Go ahead, Romy.
1: Well, and some of these fruit trees, you know, we haven't really talked about it. One of the benefits if you're buying a more mature tree is it's closer to harvest. A lot of them, it takes two or three or four years before they get into into harvest. So if you're – I don't know what the turnaround time is on a cherry, but that's a, that's a disappointing thing to have a couple years invested in it to find out it's never going to produce anything.
0: Yeah, three years is what I tell people. And if you do everything that we tell you to do in getting your trees planted, you might get fruit the second year. But cherry, every single cherry I've ever seen has died. Every <laughs> And I brought hundreds of them in. I've tried dozens of them myself. They all die. Almonds just don't seem to thrive here. Um, I had two of them on the property, two different varieties of low chill and And here's what Tom from Dave Wilson Nursery says. Greg, how many days a year can you go in and get a nice almond at the grocery store? Every day. How many days a year can you go in and get a nice peach in the grocery store? Zero days a year. So grow peaches instead. (laughs) They're both stone fruit. They both grow equally as well, but they don't produce equally as well. Um, Pecans? do really well in the low
1: desert. Which is why I was surprised to see them on your list.
0: Yeah. And if you can get pecans, then I say absolutely go for it. The problem with getting with pecans is getting them here and in the ground. Mm. If they're bare-rooting them, they have a very high mortality rate, and potted ones also have a high mortality rate. So... Um, the times that we brought pecans in has not been, it's not been great.
1: So, and and we planted four from bare root about uh, about eleven years ago, and and I really, you know, and that's a, a long one. They say like don't expect fruit for for the first seven to ten years. Exactly. So that's a really long time to production. So we're just getting to where we should be expecting to see it, but. Something else to be aware of that—that's a thirsty tree, Yeah. Uh, creating uh, and and almonds as well. Nut trees are very thirsty trees.
0: Exactly, exactly. And then this is the this is the unicorn that everybody asks me about: avocados.
1: <laughs> no. um, Unicorn's Unicorn. Um, you can word. experiment
0: with them. Every single one I have ever planted or seen planted has died. Um, there is one person in town that swears by them and swears that they're growing everywhere. I have never seen a producing avocado in Phoenix Sands one that was in my neighborhood and um, I you know it was a very old tree, so um, you can experiment with it, but it's highly likely it's gonna the heat's gonna kill it.
1: I'd like to go on a a, a driving tour with this individual you're talking about and see if they can't point these out to me <laughs> right. There you go. All right, Farmer Greg, you have an online class if somebody would like to learn more as we wrap up here.
0: Yeah, so we're all out. We're all about education. We offer dozens of classes every year. We offer our root camp, which is a, a master class with 34 lessons, and maybe it's 37 lessons on growing fruit trees in the desert. These are specific classes for growing fruit trees in the desert. We have our fruit tree education launch that's coming up. It's a three-hour live event on September 9th. If you just go to um, fruittrees.org, there's a banner at the top that talks about our fruit tree launch and our root camp.
1: Urbanfarm.org, it is free. And then uh, you can hear Farmer Greg here September 23rd back in the Urban Farming Hour talking compost. Farmer Greg, thanks for spending your Saturday morning with us.
0: Thank you.